This is Footy Time, and I'm Daniel Andrews. So we're actually trying out a bit of a different format today. We've got Danny with us all the way through. How's it going, Danny? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for having me for the whole podcast this week. Yeah, a little bit of a change. We'll see how it goes, eh? Um, so we've got alternate history and true and false. True or false, I should say. I keep saying true and false for some reason. True or false a little bit later. But uh, we're going to jump straight into talking about the 2010 Grand Final. So this was the Grand Final between Collingwood and St Kilda a little while ago now. But I think it's a great one for us to have a chat about. So this is actually the first Grand Final I ever saw live. Were you at this game, Danny? No, this is one Grand Final I did miss. Where were you? I watched it on TV. (laughs) I guess when you've seen as many Grand Finals as you have, you don't have to go to every single one. Again? No, not all of them, but this was a big one that I missed. Yeah, for sure. So let's uh, jump into a little bit of the pre-match discussion, looking at the 2010 final series. So we'll start with Collingwood, who are actually one of the really dominant teams of 2010. So I'm not sure what their percentage was, but they were regularly kicking really high scores and really looked unbeatable for much of the year. So their first final was actually against the Bulldogs, having finished first, and the Bulldogs obviously finishing fourth. And it was a huge win to the Pies, ended up running all over the top of them by 62 points. Still a little bit inaccurate though, 17, 22, 124. So remembering back, this was a bit of a hallmark of the Pies in this year, Danny. They did routinely kick a bit inaccurately. Yes, I think a lot of that comes from playing around the boundary and not all their set shots were directly in front. Yeah, I did notice that even in this grand final. They were taking a lot of shots from a fair way out and the boundary as well. So I think you're definitely right there, game style, coming into that. One other thing that was really obvious in this Bulldogs-Collingwood game was just the spread of goal kickers Collingwood had. I didn't actually count them, but there were a huge number of goal kickers, which I think was another one of their big strengths. Oh, their strength was how much, um, how much firepower they were getting out of their midfield. Yeah, absolutely. I guess Pendlebury is a pretty good goal kicker. Swan, who are the others who are kicking a lot of goals out of that midfield? Even Sidebottom, although I think this was his first year. They were even getting um, Johnson was kicking goals off the back line. Harry O was pushing forward. Everyone could contribute on that side. So that win saw Collingwood through to the prelim final, where they would play Geelong. Geelong having lost their first final. And it was Collingwood again putting on a huge score with, again, heaps of goal kickers doing it pretty easily in the end over Geelong by 41 points. So this just contributed to the idea that really Collingwood, by how far in this season, they were looking like the team that was going to win this, really. So what about the other side of the draw, though? So the other side of the draw was obviously where St Kilda was. And as I alluded to just before, St Kilda actually got over Geelong in the qualifying final. And this was the first time they were able to get over Geelong in a final for quite a while. Of course, losing the 2009 Grand Final. And through this period, Geelong did actually beat St Kilda in a few other finals as well. So this was a really big result. Do you have any memories of this game, Danny? Or is it too long ago? No, that that game was far too long ago. Back then, I didn't like to watch a whole lot of Geelong games. (laughs) For for obvious reasons, you being a Hawks supporter and all. I do remember this one pretty vividly, though, because... I really did want actually St Kilda to win, even though obviously a neutral supporter here. It was a great game and St Kilda was up at three-quarter time, managed to just hold on. Geelong kicking a very inaccurate one goal seven in the last quarter to St Kilda's one goal. 
just allowing them to hold on by four points. So I guess the consensus at the time was that St Kilda may have got a little lucky in this game, but uh, I think they deserved it. They were definitely one of the very good teams of this year. So give them a little bit of luck here. So that saw them through to the prelim final where they were playing the Western Bulldogs. So they were expected to account for the Bulldogs in this game, but they were actually trailing by six points at halftime. Thankfully for St Kilda, they were able to slam on 10 goals to three after halftime to run out relatively convincingly 24-point win. So this gave them the chance to get some redemption for the grand final loss of the previous year. Daniel, before we start the first quarter, what what were your thoughts on um, St Kilda leaving out Ben McAvoy for this grand final? It was an interesting move, wasn't it? So they opted to go in with the one specialist Ruckman and... Uh, Kaczynski's backup. Kaczynski's backup, yeah. I guess McAvoy was pretty young these days, wasn't he? So it wasn't entirely proven, but it was a bit of a surprise. What did you think of the move? Well, I think it sums up Ross' line a little bit, or maybe St Kilda as a whole, that they try to get one specific player for one role, and then everyone plays one role and plays that role as to the best of their ability, and there just wasn't the need for two Ruckman. Yeah, absolutely. I guess most sides around this time were still playing two Ruckman, but I guess that feeds into the idea of the St Kilda bubble. Do you remember the St Kilda bubble, Danny? They really had this philosophy under Lyon that they weren't listening to any external noise or pressure. And they play Saints football. Yes, it was all about Saints footy. So being selfless and just doing whatever they had to do for the team as an overall thing, not relying on any sort of one player or group of players. So I think that was a hallmark of this team. So the grand final started with a bang, really, with Collingwood finding a goal in the first 30 seconds. So from the first centre clearance, it was Pendlebury streaming inside 50, who got it onto Didac, and then from the square... Jolly was able to slam through the first. It was a bit of a worrying sign for St Kilda because we knew they weren't really going to kick that many goals and to have conceded one this quickly. It was a worry. It certainly was ominous signs very, very early in this game. And remembering back to this time as well, Collingwood were very fast starters. I think in the, both of their finals leading up to this game, they'd slammed on sort of five to seven goals in the first quarter. So St Kilda really needed to do whatever they could to stop that. So there was more play in the Collingwood forward line and it was actually Dempster under intense pressure who dumped it out on the full. And it was none other than Didak who got the free kick, unfortunately, for St Kilda. So if any player you really would have wanted to avoid, it was probably Didak to be taking this kick. So even though he was on the wrong side for a left footer, he was able to go back and he really just nailed the goal. Never really looked like missing. No, it certainly didn't. It was a great kick. And uh, from the very next play, it was actually Dale Thomas who found a mark on about the 50. And although the kick was an absolute mongrel, it found a way to wobble through. <laughs> and it really wasn't looking like things were you know, going to be happening for St Kilda. So really, all over the ground, it was looking like Collingwood had the edge. They were well set in defence. So when St Kilda did get the chance to go forward, often they really didn't have a lot to kick to. Obviously, Nick Rewalt was their great hope up forward. So after Rewalt missed his first set shot, he got another chance a short time later and nailed one from 50 to give the Saints a bit of hope as well. The Saints started to be getting on top a little bit towards the second half of this quarter. They've actually stopped Collingwood from scoring in the, in the last 10 minutes of the quarter. And when Schneider was able to get a late goal, the margin was just six points. So really, 
Collingwood had the better of most of the quarter, but St Kilda had done a great job to mean that the margin really was quite manageable at this point. So this pattern of play really sort of continued into the second quarter. It was a bit of a stalemate early with both teams struggling to generate chances, even though it looked like Collingwood had the better of the play. And when St Kilda did get a bit of clean play going their way, it was the big diving Kazitsky who got a chess mark right on the 50. He's normally a pretty good kick, and from outside 50, he went back and drained it from about 53. That joy for St Kilda was a little short-lived, though, because we had Robert Eddy getting absolutely nailed in a tackle on the wing, and from, with a brain fade from Farron Ray, kicking the ball away inexplicably, it was a 50-metre penalty, and McCaffrey was dragged to the goal square where he was able to put another one through and gift Collingwood a 14-point lead. St Kilda were under intense pressure trying to defend their goal, and Dempster was pretty lucky not to be done for holding the ball in one play. It fell to Goddard, and he, all he could think to do was hack it out as far as he could. Harry O'Brien was able to gather near the 50, and after a couple of steps... He launched a huge kick. It went sailing through, just evading the right-hand goalpost. And just like that, Collingwood had a 22-point lead and things were starting to look a little ominous. Collingwood still had been a bit inaccurate, though, and there was no better example of this than a couple of chances Cloak had really close to half-time. First, he marked 20 out from goal, pretty much directly in front, only to lean back and miss to the left. And a short time later, he was running into goal again, but missed badly as he hooked. So the 24-point lead that Collingwood had really could have been a lot more. Okay, that brings us to our first half talking points. So really what was quite obvious here was that the teams were trying to play quite different game styles. So we had Collingwood, especially early, trying to move the ball on as quickly as possible and they had great spread away from the contest. Whereas St Kilda were playing with much more control, slow and steady ball movement out of the back line, trying to protect their defence. I think that's due to the skills of both teams. St Kilda, St Kilda couldn't afford the ball to get out into the open with the Collingwood speed, especially off their back line. And Collingwood were trying to to, to make the most of your point on um, the St Kilda back line, trying to get it and expose it early. For sure. So I guess St Kilda were able to protect their back line a bit by playing this way, but I guess it meant that they really didn't have that many chances to attack themselves. And in contrast, Collingwood were playing that more ballistic style of footy. When they got the chance, they just sort of took it and ran. So I guess it allowed Collingwood to generate a lot more chances. But as we heard in that summary, they weren't really making the most of the dominance they had in that first half. So it really did seem like St Kilda was perhaps just holding on, largely thanks to their defence holding up. But it did seem like Collingwood may were the better team in that first half. Is that the way you saw it, Danny? I certainly did. I, I saw Collingwood as maybe a, maybe two more two more goals than they were currently at the moment. They should have been. To be honest, they had their chances of wrapping up this grand final in the first half. For sure. So the 24-point lead could have really been anything up to almost 40. Somewhere in the 30s probably would have been you know, a little bit more representative of the way the game is played. So, yeah, St Kilda really were just hanging on, weren't they? We had Nathan Brown playing on Nick Rewalt, and he seemed to be doing a pretty good job. Although Rewalt did have a couple of shots, most of the time Rewalt was being blanketed. How did you see this one, Danny? Well, Nathan Brown is actually a very good matchup with for Rewalt. Maybe not as strong as him with in the air, but he will run all day and will work as hard as Rewalt up the ground. 
that's an unusual thing because Rewalt can usually work his player up the ground and run off them, which is, is something he's not quite used to. For sure. So it was going to be a tough day. So the other really stark thing that came out of this first half to me was just the discrepancy in scoring shots. So we had uh, St Kilda generating just six scoring shots for their four goals two to Collingwood's 15 in that first half. So I think that is a bit reflective of really the dominance of Collingwood. And like we sort of said, the game perhaps should have already been put to bed. All right, so we're going to jump into the third quarter now to have a look at some of the most important plays here and see what's going to happen next. So remember, it's Collingwood that's up by four goals at this stage. So to begin the third, we actually had a great bit of gut running by Nick Rewalt to provide an option going back inside 50. And from the pocket, he was able to slot the goal to give St Kilda a bit of momentum early in this quarter. And they did start seem to be starting to win a few more of the clearances too. And they seemed also more willing to just get the ball moving forward any way they could. So in the first half, they were a little bit more stop-start, but I think there might have been a bit of a change in mentality here, just a bit more willing to get the ball moving forward. Another thing that was pretty stark in this third quarter was the fact that Collingwood really weren't getting much out of their big forwards. So Cloak had had four shots at goal by this time for only a single goal, and Dawes had had three shots at goal and hadn't converted any. So from those seven shots at goal from their big power forwards, they'd only got one goal, which uh, goes to explain why St Kilda were perhaps still in this game. The other thing that started happening in the third was Goddard started really coming into his own. So he was getting back really well to help the defence. He just seemed to be popping up wherever St Kilda needed him, really. He was everywhere. He was Mr Utility on the game. He was he's back in defence when they needed him and up forward when they needed him as well. It was, it was amazing. And there was a beautiful mark in the forward half that he took as well, ghosting in front of a pack to take a nice strong mark. And he was able to convert that one as well. The other player for St Kilda that was really starting to come into the game even more was Lenny Hayes. So he was starting to win quite a few more clearances and starting to impose his will on the game. And towards the end of the third quarter, the game was really tightening up. St Kilda managing to generate a few more goals and Collingwood just not able to take advantage of any of their plays. So from 13 inside 50s in the third quarter, Collingwood didn't score a single goal, although they missed quite a few gettable shots, really. And by three-quarter time, St Kilda had whittled Collingwood's lead down to just eight points. So going into the last quarter, it was anyone's game, really. And early in the fourth quarter, the game seemed to go to another level. The pressure and tension ramped up, and every play was now vital. Despite not really being sighted all day, Leon Davis actually came up with a little bit of magic, a quick gather and a sidestep to evade two opponents, and he'd slotted a goal to give Collingwood a 14-point lead with just 12 minutes left. In a low-scoring game, it really seemed like that might be enough. What we didn't count on, though, was the dominance of Hayes and Goddard. Hayes was absolutely dominating the clearances, getting the ball moving forward any way he could. And he even had a shot at goal after Schneider spotted him up right on the 50. Hayes wasn't really known as a long kick though, so it wasn't really expected that he'd even be able to make the distance. But somehow he wound himself up and gave it absolutely everything. And from about 53 out, he managed to will the ball over the line. 
and the Saints were very still much alive in this game. I think it just shows how much of a big game player Lenny Hayes really is. Yeah, he just found a way to get it over the line. Can't really imagine him doing that in a regular season game, but he saw the importance, right? Just had to find a way of getting it through. And from the very next play, it was actually Milne who marked 30 metres out and the kick went straight through the middle. And now the margin was just one point. We had a classic grand final on our hands. And it was Hayes again gathering at about 50 who sent the ball high towards goal. Goddard was here as well. He was everywhere. And he got the perfect sit over Harry O'Brien to take a classic specky. He just seemed to hang in the air. So he went back and slotted that goal. And St Kilda led for the first time all day. They had a six-point lead. And that brings us to one of the most important players of the whole game. So with just two minutes left on the clock, we had Gwilt kicking long out of defence. And Rewalt put up a massive contest to bring down a contested mark. He was right on the wing. And he went long as well. Collingwood had good representation around half forward, but somehow the ball spilt down. And who was there to gather? But Lenny Hayes. He probably had a little bit more time than he realised, but he just hacked the ball forward. And the ball managed to bounce just in front of Milne and Ben Johnston, who were the only two players anywhere near it. Somehow the ball took a crazy bounce, bouncing at about a 90 degree angle to go back towards goal. Milne was the one who recovered first though, and he had a few metres and looked certain to gather the ball. But just as this happened, we had the ball bouncing back the other way 90 degrees, and somehow the ball evaded Milne and trickled through for a point. It was a horrible bounce, the worst you can imagine, but now the scores were level, locked at 68 apiece, with just 1.5 minutes left on the clock. And in a tight bit of play on the wing, that was all that was left of this game, and the players were left with hands on hips and heads, not knowing what to do but knowing that they have to do it all again next week for a chance to win the 2010 Premiership. So it was a bit of a challenge to actually work out the most influential players on the ground because uh, obviously it was a drawn game, but I felt that there was a couple of St Kilda players that stood head and shoulders above everyone. It was really hard to split them. So you can probably guess that my 3-2 and two goes to Hayes and Goddard they were just everywhere, especially in that second half where the Western Kilda were just doing whatever they could to try and get over the line here. So Hayes was three votes for me and Goddard just a nose behind with two. And for me, Collingwood's best player for the one vote was Dale Thomas. He had a great two-way running all day and was getting back to support his defence, good tackle pressure and uh, getting some good effective possession going back the other way as well. It was actually Lenny Hayes as well who won the Norm Smith medal. I actually agreed with you this week, uh, Daniel, which is unusual. Uh, but I would like to put a special mention to Sam Fisher, who was outstanding as well. Uh, he had 12 rebounds out of the half-back line, and I think it was six or seven intercept marks. So I guess we haven't really talked a lot about it, but St Kilda's largely unheralded back line really did stand up very well in this game, particularly in that first half when Collingwood were getting a lot of the play. But they managed to hold Collingwood to a manageable score, which was would have been almost unthinkable going into this game, that you would keep Collingwood to just 68 points. All right, let's uh, pull out a few of the threads from this second half now. So one of the things that really stood out to me looking back at this game was just how high the pressure was 
especially when the ball was outside the 50, it seemed really difficult for either team to get much space or clean ball use. Yes, and I think both teams actually changed their game style in the second half because of this issue. It's just crazy that the ball, the game pressure was so high, you couldn't get a handball away. It was just get the ball into the boot and get it forward. And I, I think that led to some inaccurate kicking because, as you said, Lenny Hayes thought he was under more pressure. Perceived pressure became a big factor in this game as well. For sure. So it was very hard to get any clean play going throughout that entire second half. And that I guess that probably did play into St Kilda's hands a little bit because you'd say overall Colling was probably the more skillful team. So another big thing that happened in this second half was the fact that Colling would was stuck on seven goals in that third quarter. They scored no goals despite missing a lot of gettable chances. So I know you've already said, Danny, that some of their shots were quite difficult, and that's true, but there were at least three or four in this third quarter that were really should have gone through. I think they showed that they were starting to get the collie wobbles in that uh, second half. Yeah, I guess they probably were the team under more pressure coming into this game just because they'd finished on top of the ladder. They were the heavy favourites and obviously they hadn't won a grand final for quite a while despite quite a few chances. So you think that might have been playing on their minds a little bit here, Danny? I think so. I think a big club like Collingwood, that always is going to be a factor. And they were quite a young team as well, so perhaps that was even more of a factor. So it was really all about this last quarter. I know the first three quarters were extremely good as well, but the game just seemed to go to another level in that last quarter. Almost every play was amazing in one way or another. Just the amount of pressure or just different things that the teams were actually able to do to try and get the better of what was going on. How did you see the last quarter, Danny? Yeah, I saw it as both teams had started getting huge moments. and The game, the quarter became a quarter of huge moments that Collingwood would have a huge moment then St Kilda would answer it then back to Collingwood. It was like, it was just one moment after another. It just, and the game couldn't break open. It makes me think of that Goddard mark again that we were talking about. Like when St Kilda hit the front there, it looked like, you know, they'd be able to go on and actually win this thing. But almost immediately, Collingwood got that goal back. So, geez, it was it was a crazy quarter. And there was Maxwell's save right on the, the line when Rewald had a shot and Maxwell stopped it. It was just captain versus captain, moment by moment. It was just, it had everything. Yeah, it was definitely a classic last quarter that'll get replayed for the next 50 years. Let's talk a little bit about that bounce that I described earlier. And of course, it's the bounce where the ball evades Milne, where he looks like he's running into an open goal. And this is actually the point that levels the scores as well. So there's a lot going on here. It's it's amazing the way that the AFL ball can bounce, Danny. <laughs> oh, you, put, you, you, you have a funny-shaped ball, it's going to have a funny-shaped bounce. It wasn't even one weird bounce, though, because the first bounce that evaded them was crazy as well. So it bounced in front of Ben Johnson and Milne back towards goal, almost on a 90-degree angle, and then it bounced the other way a 90-degree angle to, to evade Milne. So it was just amazing. Could Milne have done more to get the ball? Could he have dived? Well, he could have dived, but I don't... There's no way he could have predicted the ball was going to bounce like that. If anything, you would have expected the ball to keep bouncing as it had been because it had already bounced 90 degrees, so you'd expect it to keep going in that same direction. And if it had done that, it would have he would have been able to kick it off the ground and it would have been a goal. Yes, a lot of if-onlys there. What about Goddard, especially in that last quarter? He just seemed like a man possessed. We've already talked about him a fair bit, but 
He just had that look that he was going to do absolutely everything he could for his team. Even when he kicked that goal, he didn't over-celebrate. He, he was a man on a mission ready to just do the next thing. He didn't... That game was never over for Goddard. No, and I think looking at what happened after this moment, he was as crushed as anyone by what happened next. So it just showed how much it meant to him that he was able to sort of channel all that energy into this amazing performance, but also how much it hurt him afterwards. So what about Hayes as well? You got a fair bit of the action in that description. I think it just showed the champion stand up in champion moments that he he was he took the, his team in that second half on his back and was trying to single-handedly win that game. He th- there was nothing going to stop Lenny Hayes on that grand final day. Yeah, so I think that's a really important point because obviously Collingwood were well on top at halftime, but it was players like Goddard and Hayes that wrenched the game back in St Kilda's favour. So without these massive performances, I just don't think it would have happened. Obviously, the other players played very important roles, but St Kilda did just need a couple of players to start getting things moving their way, and they definitely found that in Goddard and Hayes. All right, Danny, that brings us to true or false for the 2010 grand final draw. So uh, I'll kick it off. Danny, a draw was an anticlimactic finish to the 2010 grand final. That's true, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either. How do you mean? I like the hype of a second grand final. I like that our game's different. I like it that it wasn't over in one week. It's something that happens only three times in the game's history. Yeah, as a neutral supporter, I really didn't mind that it was a draw. I did feel for the players because, you know, they're the ones who have just busted their guts for two hours and essentially it means nothing to them because they just have to come back and do it again. But as far as a spectacle and for the overall good of the game, I think it was pretty amazing. So unfortunately, they have actually changed this rule now, so there won't be any more drawn grand finals. There's now extra time to to decide the grand finals. I think you just answered my next question. Settling <laughs> the 2010 grand final with extra time would have been a fairer outcome than coming back next week. I would say this is true because I felt like both teams gave it everything they had. So you just got to get the result on the day. As much as from a supporter's point of view, you want to see the spectacle again and you want to see what happens next in terms of giving them the whole game to see who is the better team. I think a fairer outcome would have been just to play five more minutes each way and get it decided. And I think that might have actually given St Kilda a better chance to have won the grand final. So to me, it would have been fairer, but not necessarily better. Where do you stand on this one, Danny? No, I agree with that. I think St Kilda had all the momentum, so they might have gone on to win this game. But as you said, fairer, not better. All right. Collingwood choked on the big stage with their inaccurate goal kicking. True or false, Danny? I think this is true. I think any team, that almost had twice as many inside 50s. I think the inside 50 count was 62 to 35. And with that many inside 50s, you should win the game. You, you have twice as many chances to kick goals. Um, and I think that cost Collingwood this game. For sure. So I guess the inaccuracy really started coming in, especially in that third quarter and a little bit towards the end of the second as well. So perhaps those jitters that we talked about about a little bit earlier were a factor here. But as you said, if you've got that many chances, you just you would expect to win the game. So I think we have to say this is true. Luckily for Collingwood, they got a second chance, which is something that doesn't usually happen when uh, you don't take your chances. 
Yes, Daniel, the uh, the game was played on St Kilda's terms in the second half. I think we're sensing a theme here. I think this is true as well, <laughs> because St Kilda had essentially dried up Collingwood's quick ball movement. Um, they were creating enough chances of their own. They were still able to defend what Collingwood was doing relatively well. So 100% the game was on St Kilda's terms to me. Was this true or false for you, Danny? Uh, definitely true for the second half. They had all the momentum. It was a game of two two court, two halves. Collingwood had all the momentum in the first half and St Kilda had it all in the second. And I guess the extension of that is that both teams didn't quite make the most of the momentum when they had it and perhaps that's why it ended in a draw. Danny, St Kilda should have won the 2010 Grand Final. Uh, I think this is false. I think we look through, back through the history books and we can see one chance where St Kilda could have won this game. I think there were so many chances where Collingwood had the opportunity to. They had more of the ball, they had more inside 50s, they had more shots. I think this was this was Collingwood's game. Okay, that's interesting. I disagree. I th- I think this is true because games are won in the second half. You get plenty of games where the team is dominant in the first half and they just get overrun in the second half. And I feel like that is a little bit of what happened here. St Kilda had the better of the second half and they really should have found a way to win this game. They had the game on their terms to me. So if they were ever going to win the 2010 Grand Final, I think this was their chance. Yeah, but I think what you just said, if they were ever going to win, that was their chance. I I think overall it was Collingwood's day. Perhaps, perhaps. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. So when a game ends in a draw, you can obviously argue both sides. But, geez, for a team that's only won one grand final in their history, to get that close to winning another, it's just heart-wrenching. Daniel, Goddard's fourth quarter mark was a, was better than Jezzelenko's iconic mark. I'm going to be a little bit biased here because I did obviously see the Goddard mark live and I didn't see the Jezzelenko one. But I would say this is actually true. If you take into account... The uh, the game situation, how good each mark was, the fact that I think Goddard actually got more hang time, he was up higher. To me, it is the better mark. There are plenty of marks that are better than Jezelenko's mark. Similar to what Kane Corns was saying during the week, Jezelenko's mark isn't necessarily iconic because of how good it is. It's more just because of that little bit of commentary. And obviously, it's a very good mark as well, but you know, oh, Jezelenko, you beauty. Would it have been remembered so much without that little tagline? Perhaps not. Maybe not, but Jezelenko's mark, he'll always, his big thing is he went on to win the game. And that's it. That's what you said earlier, wasn't it? If Goddard's mark had actually, you know, it did put the Saints in front, and if they were able to go out and win this game, then Goddard's mark becomes just as big as Jezelenko's, maybe, if not bigger. But I guess, you know, St Kilda's a smaller club, so maybe not. All right, that brings us to the end of True or False. So uh, a lot of interesting topics there. And uh, now we're going to bring this into alternate history. So what do we do with alternate history when neither team wins? Well, of course, we need two versions where two different teams win. So I've got the St Kilda side of the ledger. So it's probably not going to be hugely surprising what I'm going to take you through here to see how St Kilda could have won this game. But uh, let's get into it. So it goes back to that play. Lenny Hayes hacks the ball forward in front of Milne and Ben Johnson. The kick still bounces at a 90-degree angle back towards goal. Milne still recovers first. The only difference is that instead of the ball bouncing 
the other way 90 degrees to go through for the points. It actually continues on its same trajectory, 90 degrees towards the goals. And of course, Milne is there to run in and the ball's almost across the line because it's got such a crazy spin on it. And all Milne has to do is put a toe poke onto it and St Kilda go up by five points. From the very next centre bounce, we have Ross Lyon sending everyone into the back line. They might have one player forward, but essentially they're able to hold on for that last minute. And now they have their second premiership. So we're now going to hear from Danny another way that this could have gone. So this is the Collingwood side of the ledger. The Collingwood side is quite easy because every player on that side almost misses a shot at goal. So I've just got to find one player that had kicked straight instead of missing a bite. But I found the, I found the big moment was when Daisy Thomas missed his shot on goal at the end of the third quarter, or, or towards the third quarter. Because he, his point then led on for St Kilda to go back and score. So if you give Daisy Thomas that goal at the end of the third quarter, it gives them an easy win. Just being a little bit further in front, going into that last quarter, you feel like that's enough for Collingwood? It would have sapped the energy out of the uh, Saints, who were out on their feet, running on fumes. That's how they got back into this game. It wouldn't have taken much to break the St Kilda spirit. I think, yeah, St Kilda really didn't have huge capacity to score, as the game shows, so any extra score for Collingwood would have been very difficult for them, so I agree with that. I don't really think it's fair to actually judge one of these better than the other because, you know, one's for each team. So perhaps we can pass on that part of alternate history for this week. So both interesting accounts. And I think it just shows how, you know, really if you changed any one of 100 moments in this game, it changes the result. So it was on a knife's edge for pretty much that whole second half. If Collingwood had, you know, taken, as you said, even one of those chances in the third quarter, we probably don't get that classic last quarter that we had. The other thing I just wanted to mention here was that really Collingwood were expected to win this game. And I think probably if you played the game 10 times, Collingwood probably would have won eight or nine of those. So it just shows that, you know, St Kilda, to me, St Kilda really did have this game in their hands in that second half. And it really was on them to find a way to win it. But unfortunately, they weren't just, just weren't quite able to do it. So how about that question to you, Danny? If they played this game 10 times, how many times would St Kilda have won it, do you think? I think St Kilda wins this game one out of 50. I think they, I, I feel like this was Collingwood's game. Collingwood's game to lose. They were the better side. I think, yeah, if you look at the season as a whole, you would definitely, uh, that definitely supports the fact that Collingwood was the, the, the better side. They were able to score more heavily. They had more drive out of the midfield and... Uh, Really, the stars aligned for St Kilda to be able to compete in this game, but uh, just couldn't quite get there. Perhaps history will show that you know Collingwood did go into, on to win the replay, so perhaps we did get the, the fairer result in the end. They were the better team overall. All right, so that's all we have for this episode of Footy Time. Thanks again for joining us. And uh, if you've got other friends or family that you think might enjoy some of these uh, Footy Time episodes, please uh, pass on the word about Footy Time and we can uh, start building our listener base. That'd be great if you get your help with that. And uh, be sure to tune in next time for more Footy Time. Season might not be too far away now.